Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, Johnny Cosgrove and Dr. Abraham Campbell, co-founders of MeetingRoom.io, join us. Welcome to the show, guys. No problem at all. Happy to have you in here. And yeah, this will be interesting. Just for our listeners, we're doing this show in a meeting room, virtual reality meeting room. Three of us are virtual. So thank you for accommodating that, guys. We're in a really slick room overlooking a beautiful ocean. Looks like we're in a boat. It kind of feels like we're on a boat, actually. But no, we're, we're currently in a demo room. That's what this room is. It's a sample based on that. Yeah, so essentially we ran an experiment for two weeks. Uh, we had Airfiber, who was great, providing our internet for that. And we ran an experiment of sort of your top-level video conferencing, so Skype for Business, uh, 1080p video, versus this meeting room. So the meeting room that you're experiencing right now is pretty much what they experienced. And we just wanted to see what the difference is when somebody has a video conference using Skype or, again, it was as the, the control group versus having a quick meeting on our software. So it was a fascinating experiment to do. We found that people did find that it was far more immersive and we checked all our p-values and it's, it's, it's very good. It's very good. So basically, we know statistically that people found themselves more immersed in the environment. They felt way closer. Like, I feel like I'm talking to you here. Um, so that's exactly what we were, we were interested in. And obviously, they also found the excitement was amazing from the experience. They found it was like, okay, this is something a bit different. We have to actually show you the proper meeting at some point yourself. So just to summarize there, I suppose, just in terms of what we were going for was to test a medium. So it wasn't us. To, we're, not, we're obviously a startup. We're early stage. We're not testing like for like. We were doing a medium test of VR versus video chat. And overall, we were happy to test our assumptions in the wild. We had over 100 people come through and try it out. But we had 100 candidates go through the actual test itself. So we're very happy with what's coming out in that. And we'll have a lot more information on that over the summer in terms of um, those actual results. But overall, yeah, it was... Um, it, it was a lot of fun. Okay, and so, so tell, tell us about what MediumRoom.io is. I probably jumped the gun on that one. Too, too much excitement from being in the Medium Room. So yeah, again, that's back to the room we're in here. So you can see what 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 you were seeing, and of course, people listening can't see. We're standing in a physical room. We're in three different locations, and we're standing in the same virtual space, having a conversation. The way we're actually standing is the three of us are just standing in a circle, having a chat. Uh, around on the walls, we can actually see you've got a view looking out to the ocean. We put that into a lay people's fears their first time in VR. It's an interesting experience. So nice, calming ocean. Um, in terms of what's going on around here, we can communicate we can get in a room together we can have this exact kind of chat with having that immersive close feeling that we just don't get from video uh, what we've got here on the walls beside us is one of our walls is a shared screen flipping between a few websites we've got a video there on the wall where the three of us can hear that with full spatial sound so we can all hear and see each other in a way that you would as if you were standing in a room together and also we can see here one of our APIs that we pulled in we're showing a bit of Twitter up on the wall there which is just we, we use this room sometimes as well for seeing how Twitter goes so just to show these different bits and bobs that are going on and different features that are going on in the room but in short we get people in from different locations in the same virtual physical space uh, it might be worth to mention as well guys the sound uh, because you use spatial sound because if i turn my head like i am now looking at the wall johnny you might want to change some of those websites maybe clear your cookies there 
I can see what you were last looking at, man. <laughs> we, we're in your bedroom here, man. We're in your bedroom. So, uh, but spatial sound, if I turn my head, yeah, I, I actually hear, hear the sound differently. So it's one of the advantages of this is even if you're just comparing us without a headset, because you're not got a headset right now, but you can see how somebody even coming in at a desktop, if you had five or six people, even if they were on desktops, because of the spatial sound, if anybody's tried to have a teleconference or video conferencing software, whether it be Skype, Google, Zoom, and you have 10 people in the room, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare figuring out who's actually speaking. So even just adding that ability to position yourself in the room in a desktop VR environment even shows the premise works quite well, we feel. I think the important part there is even as right now, we're having a conversation. Can I? Because I can even see AB's body language as he's talking. I can see even the fact that you're there physically in front of me means that I know if you turn to me there, I know that you're turning your attention to me, that kind of thing. But it's very much a case of we actually had to do, <laughs> we really had to slack it out the other day. We had to use an old school um, audio conferencing deal, bridge system. So we, we get a nice refresher on this every time we uh, find someone who we're talking to to use our stuff, who's using the old stuff. Um, what One of the real defining differences between us and, say, normal bridge conferencing tools, or even with video, is it tends to be one person talking, everyone else listening. And it's not a conversation, it's a speech. You might get feedback, but you won't get it as natural as you would here. Uh, I know myself and Abby are terrible. We'll, even in real life, we'll talk over each other. Yeah, we we do. We actually. Each. We would. We would. Yeah. Exactly. It's that's what we do. But in terms of in terms of how that happens, it doesn't happen on video calls or audio calls as much because we can't because we'll never get anything done. Um, now, you know, in terms of how that actually works, it means you can have a free flowing conversation. If you're a team in a business and you're trying to come together, bring different ideas, bring different perspectives, bring different cultures to the view, and do it without having to worry about who's missed a flight or do whatever, or as uh, or if you're going to catch that 15 minute coffee with someone i defy you to find someone who could have that 15 minute coffee if you're running for that in dublin it's a case of with us so we've already been proving this ourselves we can keep to our 15 minute coffee because we can have a coffee if i'm in rathgar or rathmines and then ab's out in out in dock you're out in ucd we can have that coffee we can do that 15 minutes and we can keep to it because we don't have to travel we have to do x y and z it's just simpler brilliant yeah so it totally changes the experience because this happens when i do skype calls for the show that You'll often speak over each other because you don't know what the cue is for somebody coming yeah. to a finish. Because a lot of times people will use their hands or their facial expressions or some type of physical cue. But it'd be great to hear your backgrounds because your boats are steeped. You have a, a deep background in AR and VR because a lot of companies that have cropped up over the past are brand new to this. But you guys have a deep history in it. Yeah, so I might do. I might start my, my myself anyway. So I have a PhD um, studying augmented reality, particularly um, augmented reality agents. So this is essentially the programming techniques of how you actually create an augmented reality environment and how you embody the avatars within it. So a lot of my testing to actually prove my theory, because a lot of augmented reality headsets don't really exist yet. So I did a lot of research simulating my environments in a virtual reality environment. Um, so. From there, I've been publishing. I was a, a postdoc um, in UCD for a couple of years, and now I'm actually moved on an assistant professor there in UCD. And I actually teach UCDs, and it's a brand new course in augmented reality and virtual reality for our final years. I also teach our computer graphics class, and I do guest lectures in our robotics class and our game development class in the, the Dublin campus. I also teach a bit on our, in our Chinese campus as well. well. Or it's a joint campus we have in the BDIC project that we have out there. So I'll also talk about Tyga Sullivan for a little bit as well. So Tyga and myself used to jointly um, um, 
demonstrate the computer graphics class in UCD, um, but his main background is in virtual reality and visualization. So he did his PhD in studying how you can take just scanned MRI scans of people and actually isolate cancers and create 3D models from those cancers, essentially figuring out where the edge of that cancer exists and actually modeling the whole object. Uh, Tyg also has a background in psychology. His actual undergrad degree is in psychology as well. Um, so we kind of balance out the team there as well because a lot of this stuff, it isn't just the technical making the VR work right. It's also the psychological, the uh, human-computer interaction to make sure that it all works out well. And so, Johnny, let's give you... You? Yeah, um, I wouldn't be quite as steeped as the guys directly as that, unfortunately. But in terms of my introduction to a lot of what we're working on, it's kind of funny. We come back to my my first experience with this kind of world was playing EverQuest when I was isolated and playing a very, very... Yes, which is for everyone else out there who had a life at nine, um, an online video game. Um, so it was online, large thing. So in terms of my background, sorry, but we actually what actually matters. I was out. I was studying out in UCD um, for a bit. Then I would have gone out to study in the states. Um, history and politics was my original degree, which I didn't finish out. Um, but I would have gone on and studied marketing and behavioral economics um, at different points. And then I actually got my MBA uh, back just finished in 2015 um, from uh, Trinity. And I have been working. I've worked in a lot of different startups over the last few years, um, including one Wook, which would have got about thirty thousand users around Dublin event management. Pretty much learned my trade by going through the startup process from event management software to Internet of Things, hardware devices, winning a few hackathons along the way there. To uh, the last year and a half working around uh, blockchain, or last year working around blockchain, and I've ended up in VR after working a uh, concurrent to all that. I was still working in a number of nightclubs on Harcourt Street. Um, um, so having an interesting thing that all led us to understanding that I've been pretty much studying people for the last number of years from a technical point of view and trying to get bums on seats. So it's come back around to I mean, myself and AB first linked up about two years ago on the VR stuff. I've always been very interested in the area. I used to hang out, well, drag my poor father down to the Atari Center out in Tala an awful lot to get that lovely clunky view. And it was actually came about, myself and AB linked up about two years ago at one of the conferences, AR Innovate, where we are, we're, actually, uh, we're actually demoing with the guys that day now. It's kind of come full circle. I was interested in the area, but it was much more consumer-facing and needed to kind of really get down to, we're not there yet, and understanding it. So then about, it was around this time last year, I would have... Yeah, it was about this time last year, so maybe started meeting up again, and I think it was about a month or so from now or so. AB got me down to the lab in UCD. I was on a crutch at the time. I was going mad, and I was trying to keep myself. Uh, after being sick for about six months, I decided I need to start looking at new things to do because uh, obviously things weren't working for me. So got down, and I think the first thing I said was, "It's not clunky anymore," um, and that's kind of where this all kicked off. We were looking at a lot of different ideas, including doing like a lot of different stuff, like arcades, all these different bits and bobs. And when it came to it. Um, we got to, I know this is jump from me to how we got going off, but in terms of where we kicked off, AB was going off to Beijing in August, or in, at the end of August, and we realized after a lot of fun conversations and a lot of different ideas, we needed to put something and get a button on it, otherwise nothing was going to happen. So I think AB, you got my, you got myself in Tiger Room after AB initially figuring that the two, got, two of us wanted to work on an almost identical project, said, how about we get, uh, yeah, you can tell this part, actually, I've been talking enough. The absolute perfect fit. So I've been involved in startups before. I was actually involved in Ireland's first ever augmented reality startup, uh, which was free gaming out of the NDRC. And we had all the technology to do Pokemon Go. And this was back in 2009. Now, unfortunately, that project was based off the N95, the Nokia phone. And unfortunately, 
we were the exact two. We were we were way too ahead of our time, and we found ourselves in a position that was very difficult to find anybody who was interested in licensing the product. And we really hadn't thought about who the end user was. We didn't just go, "Oh my God, Pokemon! This is going to be brilliant for Pokemon." So, from that experience, I learned a lot about startups and trying to figure out where things can go. I did another startup where we tried to commercialize some of the software out of UCD from Clarity, which was the sixth mesh networking software, mesh sensor network software. And again, I found essentially I didn't have the right team. What I didn't have there was a sales guy, somebody who could go out find the customers, and also understood, had enough of an understanding of the technology that they could actually go out and be that sales guy, that actually have those two hats on. Um, and then I also found that Tyg and myself were working on that project jointly. So I was like, Grad, Tyg was a brilliant developer, so it was great to have him. So when I saw John, I was like, Grant, I've now got this team. These are exactly the guys that are going to be perfect for this. And I was really happy it worked quite well. And within about, it was about a month and a half that we had the first prototype that I was talking to you guys mm. from Beijing, like we're talking now. Yeah, it was it was at that. Yeah, it was kind of funny, even from our learning point along that. I mean, like we jumped in, and in the same way, AB was looking for the right team. It was kind of funny because I've been going through. I've worked with some fantastic people the last few years. I'm lucky enough. To, I'm lucky and mean to myself enough that I put myself through about 16 startups through the course of, but just before and just after my MBA. And uh, I think more so. It's, the guys would agree in there. I was distracting myself from probably studies at points, but better with that kind of thing in terms of learning points. But in terms of when I think we, myself and Tyg first got in the room together physically, and then we actually met on my birthday in September. And that was our first meeting where we said, okay, right, what do we do? Pick some sort of name to run under ourselves just to keep us kind of focused, if anything. And what was simple, what are we doing? We're working in a very bleeding edge uh, field at the time anyway. And in terms of people going, what are you doing? Meeting room. It's meeting room software. It yeah. couldn't be simpler. So just in terms of that, that's where that all came together. And we, uh, we worked for four months then um, remotely. Um, we actually had our first month without the program. We actually drove ourselves mad using everything because obviously being in Beijing, we were dealing with a few different internet issues uh, just to make sure we had consistent calls. We were using everything from WeChat. And these were paid, the paid, not sorry, not on WeChat, but Skype, everything. We tried everything from the paid versions and we figured out along the way that one, this isn't going to be great for VR. This is, we were actually using it from desktop quite a bit and was like, oh, I know for me, I hadn't experienced that kind of call quality having done too many hours um, in online calls and realized, hang on. And this is where AB was going, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah. What I was explaining to Johnny was when you have a proper business to business line, you can use a cloud server, you can make a dedicated line. And also if you're writing the software, you can choose what level you record at. So you're used to Audacity here. Um, we're recording, in fact, if I just lift this up, I'm recording at 44 hertz, which is pretty much exactly what Meeting Room records at. A lot of things like Skype record at less than that because bandwidth. And the beautiful thing about our software, because we're not wasting bandwidth on video, we're only taking a tenth of the bandwidth that, let's say, a 1080p Skype call would take. And because of that, we can make sure all that bandwidth goes for the audio because just to record my hand going here to here is nothing. It's only a couple of little positions we send out. Audio is way more, uh, way bigger than that, and obviously video is ginormous on the pipe going through. That's really interesting because I, I do a lot of the interviews on Skype, and it mm. throws them down as a as an MOV file, and then yeah. the file is massive, and then I have to trans transport <laughs> or export that file into an MP3 or, or WAV Jesus, file. Why does it do that? <laughs> yeah, it's probably a set. It's probably me being 
terrible at what I do and, and uh, exporting <laughs> it around. <laughs> no, I, that's I, 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 as much as I have a passion and a hatred of Max that I we won't go into now, but it, it literally involves a trip to Africa, a lot of AK-47s, and I really hate Max. But he's the thing he's is not joking, that, by the way. That's from when AB used to go down to with Kamara down. You can talk a bit more. Yeah, I was you, with that's... Kamara going. Um, I did uh, two tours with them, one around uh, Ethiopia, another trip to Kenya as well and then back to Ethiopia again um, but the thing is that there has to be a setting on Mac that doesn't make you do that, anyway, that, that is, yeah, yeah, there probably is bad is. design anyway, let's, and let, let's like, stop that, raining I, on Mac I, I, can add that, I can add that to my, my why I hate Mac list I actually have this list it's got over 30 points on it I, I have I'm to tell you this add though. That tonight. Yeah. You, you said a really interesting thing earlier about the sound, AB, and and it was about you know take the spatial awareness. And I'm reading this fantastic yeah. book, and we have the author Joel Beckerman on the show in a few weeks. And ah, cool. It's called okay, Sonic cool. Boom, right? And it's about yeah. the importance of sound. And one of the things he talked about is this guy Jim Reeks, and Jim Reeks is the guy who who created the startup sound for the Mac, that iconic synthesizer boom. Oh, yeah, yeah, and before that, Johnny, you, you won't remember this because you're, you're, you're younger, but yeah. in the original Macs, and I was telling I you, I went the to the same school as you did. It was horrific. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the sounds of these things was, it was a tritone horrific sound. But in, in the book, Joel talks about this, that, that Jim Reeks had to go on the, and do this covertly and actually sneak in and replace the entire sound system of it because he's like sound, is so important and it's the it's what joel beckerman's entire company is about man-made music is about the importance of sound and he talks about this lady who gets uh her her hearing restored so she's been deaf for all her life and she gets an ear piece transplanted in one ear so then all of a sudden she hears lots of new sounds but what's interesting i just read this this morning was she when she got the second put in she could tell spatial awareness before that she yep. had no idea how close somebody was calling if her if her child was calling her yeah. because if she's saying mommy in a good way, a bad way, in an indifferent way. But now because she had stereo sound for the first time in her life, she could tell yeah. the difference and she could tell how close somebody was was coming to her. And and it was funny because it really coincided with what you said, AB, that without spatial sound, without it, we don't know what we're missing. And but but when you don't have it, yeah. you totally know. And it's it's so reflective her story to what this is giving me now, even of who's talking, what the context <laughs> is they're talking in, and how far they are away, etc. It totally we changes the game. Work. It's really interesting. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a, it's a, oh, it's a case of bring it back to something everyone understands. Uh, if you go to the cinema. And we're all used to. We all grew up. It doesn't matter how young I am. And <laughs> thanks for reminding me. Um, but in terms of Looking at, uh, you go to the cinema, you see that patchy thing coming down. You, you'll watch the video and you'll be like, fine, there's a few frames that are a bit out of beat. If the sound, and you might even take that for a minute or two if there's one of those, you know, having a dodgy day, not so much in this digital age, but a few years back. But in terms of if the sound goes, within a minute you're outside looking for a refund going, I missed that line, what's going on? You know, so those small little things, sound is so important. And it's something that's come through. So the importance of the bandwidth issue there, just in terms of what we were talking about, the real importance of that is, it's again, the consistency. It's able to have this call. I mean, like, would you have thought six months ago you'd be having a call through virtual reality, which runs smoother than the video call? 
personally, uh, well, sorry, not let me get my timing right. Prior to the project, no, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. <laughs> there a we year go. Ago, but in terms of just looking at these things, it is. It's even in case of the bandwidth issue. Getting, it's great to have my beard shake in real time on a HD call. Does it make a difference to the goal? No. <laughs> Have, it does aside from you know in terms of the bandwidth yes it does matter because you need you need a good connection out to work for the chat we're here from right now you can see okay it's a somewhat virtualized beard but you can see it there and it's the same thing so it just does small little bits and bobs which really hammer in why this makes sense bringing in social cues and reducing the bandwidth make make sense and it's, it's way more highly groomed man in in vr than it is in real life <laughs> i got i got a chop today so it's not so bad which there is actually an issue about that um, there is a deep. There is also a case because we have a few use cases for our software. Obviously, the overall arching thing is it's a meeting room. There's, there's we never can go off that. But we actually interviewed our first intern uh, for our company through our own software. So they appeared to us. We hadn't got a clue what he looked like um, until we actually met him in person. But the whole thing is that it does have that area uh, ability to de-bias people that you can come in, That's really have an anonymous conversation yeah. with us. And we decide, and we do get a lot of body language, and it depends. Like We'll be looking at, for certain customers, enterprise customers, we will put in additional animations for them if they so request, um, just to see what level. But it is something, and we also do voice changing, so they actually, even the sex could actually be hidden as well. Wow, that is um, so interesting. That is a really interesting use yeah, case. Like we're, yeah. Look, we're looking at this from a, how can internal teams get more work done? If it's a case of taking yeah. taking egos out of the room, which is one of the reasons we all came together is we are all on the same level. There's no heads trying to push whatever. We all balance. We have different skill sets and we're very open with that. I think actually working through VR, even for our first four months, really set that home. It was a case of going, right, we're meeting 30 minutes a day. That might be split into 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening for a sync call, that kind of thing. And we got more work done in those six months because we were able to just go get to work. So we got that. We already know each other. But where that becomes important for a company is you're a large-scale firm. You're trying to go out and hire, and you want the right skills, whether it's hiring in or hiring internal. And it's a case of going, right, even getting the right team together. You know, it's all those areas that we see people really actually coming at us right now going, we're interested in this. Another area which we're thinking in terms of use cases around customer service. So in terms of right now, the process is you might go on, you'll make your phone call, or you'll go on to a, a chatbot online and chat to that. In terms of being on the phone call, right now, you put your phone in, you're told you're number six in the line, you hear the same music you've heard the last four times you're, you're dealing with that. Where we're, looking, where we're really interested to see, and where we know in terms of the research we looked at before uh, from prior, is... You put six people sitting in front of that person and suddenly the whole the whole situation changes. And as much as this is a nicer experience for us now to talk and be able to have a conversation, it's the same thing for someone to go, I can see those six people in front of me. And you know what? While I'm waiting, I'm going to go and look and I'm going to see Metallica live in concert. And then when I'm actually brought back to that customer agent, I'm in a much better mood and I'm happy to go through what I'm talking about. Or at least I'm, I've had a better time waiting so I can really let rip on someone. <laughs> but in terms of just seeing what's going on, it's just about really get improving the experience. And we can see there's a thousand different ways that a thousand different people are going to use a meeting room. And we're really interested in see where that goes. Obviously, we're, we're 34 weeks in right now, so we're still quite a young company ourselves. But in terms of seeing the, up, the uptake that people have taken, even actually one point which is really interesting, we keep going, coming back to it, but for ourselves, we've seen that since before Christmas and after Christmas, there's a, a, 
nearly a better level of understanding of the market existing or the product existing in a way that's not so far off. Even myself, someone who's helping run this company now, we are looking at a year ago, over a year ago, this was still far off in my mind. So in terms of closing that gap, we think that, that Sony have really closed the gap there in terms of PlayStation VR. A lot of people's kids got PSVR as a Christmas and that has translated to even the decision makers we're talking to. It's like, oh, I might have put my headset on on the day after Christmas and suddenly I'm in Star Wars land. Becomes real. You know, it, 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 it makes it, the experience real. Isn't, isn't it funny, though, that a lot of people can't get their head around, particularly AR and VR, until they actually try it? And you can be, you can be oh, yeah. describing it and the benefits, etc., until you're blue in the face. Yeah. But until they actually sample it and experience it, it's because it's, it is world-changing in a way. When you look at it and you go, what are the possibilities? And it's so so funny when you look at movies, even like Disclosure and Lawnmower Man was the first time I saw it. Again, <laughs> yeah, show my age. Chris Brosnan knocking it out. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I actually, I, I was I was actually wondering, I can't see what avatar you put on me, but I'm, I'm reckoning <laughs> I look like uh, a, a young man's uh, David Hasselhoff. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can't, where's the mirror let's, let's where is the this. mirror <laughs> yeah, we don't have the we mirror don't... deliberately doesn't actually show oh, yeah. you're a vampire that's from a bias a bias thing oh yeah it does, I went up to the mirror at the start and I was yeah, like yeah. what am I yeah yeah. we intentionally uh, we, we're, we've been debating that the, one of the higher versions actually does have that reflection but we've kept it out from <laughs> yeah. nice. the problem is is you're not going to look like you I have actually no idea what you actually look like. <laughs> so if you see a mirror and you don't look like you think you yeah, look, it might that change is the game. That's interesting. Mess your yeah, head yeah. a bit. Mm. So it's more that we would have a, simply like a computer game, just a couple of choices. We will allow people to be fat because Facebook don't allow people. Yeah, to be we're, we're not happy. We're, we're heavy set guys and we can't be large we're, in that. We're, we're heavy set yeah. guys. That really annoyed us. Our first experience of Facebook spaces, we were not allowed. We have to be skinny and that really? was the only wow. option. Yep. Yeah, which is just like every any anybody with a background in embodiment will instantly just look at you and VR embodiment and avatars will go, you are not allowing them to choose. They have wow. to be thin. <laughs> Do you not realize the message that's that terrible. sends? Uh, it's like it's like magazines, uh, you know, uh, the way like the model. Well, the just whole... just oh, to yeah. be clear, I don't think they're going for that. It just we're annoyed. We're big boys and we want it, we want to be there and when we're virtual yeah, 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 and yeah, big yeah. too. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's more a design mistake. It's the thing is that a lot of people are making these environments that perhaps don't have the background necessarily in VR. And be aware of these sort of issues when they're creating. Yeah, the but it's it's really interesting what you say, AB, because even when you know, for example, from a sales perspective, right? So you're trying to sell even software, and you go to a client and you do a mock-up. It's interesting what you say about the avatar and it not looking like me, because if you do that straight away, the client or prospective client will actually start going, "Oh, that's not our logo," and they'll start focusing on the wrong thing. And rather, rather than you coming with a, a sketch or like a stick man or a, a white, a, a, um, yeah. like a sketch, an outline sketch of something and you focus on the concept of what it is. And this is, this reminds me of what you've done here because again, you don't, your biases are removed and, and what you did with the interview is really, really interesting because it removes that total bias and it makes you focus on what is actually important. 
And that's it, even in terms of, so that's on the internal focus that we've already gotten benefit from. And actually the first time we met Don was when he arrived up in Dublin for, you know, to meet for the first time. Yeah. But even looking at it from a, an external point of view, from a sales point of view, if I, you're always trying to control the situation as best you can in terms of if you're meeting someone for the first time, you might have that one chance to make that pitch. Now, this level of software, we're not going to be seeing used for sales just yet. We'll just be really clear. I don't think so anyway. Yeah. Well, it could be wrong. But in terms of looking at it, if you want to, we had to set up this room for me pitching you as a client for whatever the business might be. You can physically control everything in the room. And the point of that is you can also look back at that afterwards. So you look at heat maps on a website. We're looking at heat maps in a meeting room. We're looking at where are people looking. And if they're looking there, what are we doing to either if we want to re-emulate that again? Or is the case of going, right, take that out of the room because they always end up looking at that particular clock without actually looking at me. Could be nothing, could be something. But that ability for customers to learn, I mean, I'll Put it, I'll put it in a more succinct way. The, it, the learning points that businesses did from, well, assuming everyone has a computer post whatever year, they've gone from desktop to mobile. And the learning point in that alone, and what's about to happen here? So that's where right now people are pushing the boundaries. And really, what's really fun in this, to be honest, is everyone is still at the same, there's a certain level of everyone's on a similar sphere. There's no particular jumps that AB doesn't know what the guys over in certain large companies might know or whatever. It's every, it's, it, there's a lot of research there and that's where the likes of AB and Tyke, who've done a lot of this before, I've yet to find something where he can't quote me an academic paper on it and the year and the university <laughs> where it was. So in terms of that thing, we're all still getting to know what's going on. This yeah. game has just started is and just we're started. looking forward to a really fun ride. Yeah, well, listen, I'd love to, in the future, the very close future, come back and talk about your view on where everything's going because we'll do another ARV or MOR special. But uh, it's been it's been great. It's been a really great experience. Well, one thing just before we wrap up, there's a very strong VR and AR, MR, PR, XR, whatever. It's all PR. Huge movement starting to gather in Ireland, and there's talent coming in from abroad. And we're looking to work with a lot of other. There's a lot of other successful Irish VR companies. We're running a hackathon later on in the year in October. We've got a lot of companies, help other groups in the area helping us out, um, both abroad and abroad and at home. There's some great events that have already gone on this year, and there's more that are coming up over the next few weeks months and we're very very we're really looking forward to a strong in the same way that we've seen blockchain and different technologies take hold in dublin and beyond we're looking at this as an opportunity for ireland to really take take advantage of its knowledge knowledge work base and be able to transport that from anywhere and that begins for us in bringing vr and ar to the island but it's not just us it's everyone else who's working on it and there is a strong community there been an absolute pleasure guys and uh, i look forward to talking to you. we'll talk again we'll touch base end of september october about the uh, hackathon and uh, we'll talk a bit more about, uh, we'll do a bit longer on the whole scene, the VR, AR, MR, PR, XR scene. Uh, Dr. Abraham Campbell and Johnny Cosgrove, founders of MeetingRoom.io, thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thanks very much. So now on the Innovation Show, it's an honor to welcome Brendan Woods, CEO and founder of Ocrex. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you very much, Aidan. It's a pleasure. We'll jump straight into it. So tell us the story of how you founded the company. Well, I was a software developer for about 10 years myself, and I was working in the IFSC and financial services, as so many people do here in Dublin. And in doing so, I worked with lots of accountants, and it was pretty much just over a chit-chat, kind of making coffee at a tea break one morning, that I was chatting to a colleague who I didn't know particularly well, but we were just making small talk, and I asked him, how he ended up working here and 
he said he was an accountant and he used to work for an accountancy practice and it was a bit boring and he didn't want to move to Dublin and all the rest. So I said, oh, okay, fair enough. But I'm surprised that, you know, working in an accountancy firm is maybe boring because, you know, I'm kind of into business and I would have thought being an accountant, you get to see how all these businesses work, you know, or not work as the case may be. But you get to see how they tick. And I kind of made this point to him and he said, ah, to be honest, Brennan, most of the time you spend yourself typing up or ticking bank statements, doing manual bank recs. And it, it, to be honest, it's quite dull. And at the time, you know, I know what a manual bank rec basically just means a manual bank reconciliation. So reconciling your transactions at the end of the month, that kind of thing. And I knew what that meant in the context of financial services where, you know, where I worked, but not really in the case of a small business. So when I asked more, he explained, and it is a very laborious and, and tedious manual task. And a lot of it is just checking that what showed up in your bank statement is what you've also recorded in Sage or whatever your account software is. So I thought that was ridiculous that some guy that spends four years getting a degree and three years becoming an accountant spends half a day of his job basically every day doing this on behalf of small businesses. Because, it, you know, it's, it is just a very much manual task. So anyway, um, one of the parts of that, of course, is that the starting point for someone doing a tax return for, say, a small client in an accounting practice like that is they get the bank statements at the end of the year of somebody that comes in and says, you know, I need to do my tax return. And they would typically be given to a bookkeeper or a junior person in the in the accounting practice. And they'd literally just type them up. They would just type up a year's worth of bank statements into Excel or into some accounts package. And that was probably one of the most tedious parts of it, actually. So that's what's got me thinking initially. And I kind of went about building a proof of concept to see if I could automate that. And I did. And I showed it to some accounting practices and they thought it was great. Now, in my mind, it was a bit rubbish. It was kind of sellotape together proof of concept. But it demonstrated what it would do. And they loved that idea. Your background as a software developer and being an entrepreneur in your blood, you spotted the gap, you spotted the opportunity or the pain point, and you mm. went about, and like, how long did it take you to build the proof of concept? Well, that was done over quite a while, because it was basically done at the kitchen table, you know, the weekends and in the evenings after work, that kind of thing. So it took me quite a while, but, and then of course, it was giving, out to, giving it out to some practices, getting some feedback, doing a bit more, that kind of thing. But it was probably... Not until late 2010, early 2011, when I started getting there with it. And uh, ultimately, it was September 2011 when I quit my job and decided to take the plunge and, and make a proper version of it. Yeah, so, so you went for it. You, you uh, jumped off the cliff. And, uh, I did, went for yeah. Health, health in, so, so what, what, in the middle of a recession. Yeah, so like I, I read about that and I was read about it and I just thought how brave that was because obviously, you know, most people are kind of run for cover. And you went straight into the storm and just took it on. Yeah, well, it wasn't, I don't know if it was that brave as such, but at the time, I guess, I saw myself, I was 10 years into my career. And while I had a very good job and I managed a team of developers, uh, you know, and I had a kind of a middle management job, let's say, it was very secure and, you know, all things considered at the time, um, probably had more security than most and, and a reasonable, reasonable, reasonably good pay. So it wasn't her, you know, I wasn't in a bad position that I was forced into trying something else, but more the opposite, except that as with the entrepreneurial spirit in me, maybe I just found that kind of job in a company of a thousand people a little bit kind of 
same same every day um so i yeah ultimately i i, I decided i didn't want to be doing that in another 10 years time yeah and said so that sure i'll take the leap so that's like that's one of the things i find talking to so many people on the show it's just you just wired differently like you don't like that same repetitive task where you start knowing the seasons or you start knowing what week it is by the task you're on or what yeah. level of, how deep you are into a project and so many Absolutely. people just can't do that and what i love about what you've done is you, you've actually gone and and solved that problem for people you know something that you didn't like yourself in your own career even though it was a totally different industry you went exactly. and solved that task for people that with exactly the Exactly. No, I, I think I was just a bit wired that way, as you say. I mean, even in the job I was in, I was constantly, you know, getting frustrated with sort of, let's call them corporate silos, just things the way things were done and with no good reason explaining why they were done that way. And they seemed ridiculous to me, but it's hard to move, you know, a company of that size or to change things quickly. But I suppose taking one problem that was identified to me and I suppose only focusing on that, I was able to obviously get something more productive done. Yeah, so so you t- so you took the plunge in the recession, you built a product. But what I what I love and and I'd love you to tell the audience about is is how you went about your sales process thereafter, because obviously you pounded the pavements, but you also went through something that's kind of a dying <laughs> a dying product at the moment, which is the gold or the yellow pages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a few funny stories from the early days, to be honest. Um, so essentially, from sort of September 11 to uh, mid-summer 2012, I had left the job and I was working full-time to build, let's say, a proper commercial or scalable version of this software-proof concept that I'd already built. So it was around June 2012 when we started selling it, the proper version. And around that time, we hired our first salesperson, who I'd known already um and he was a young guy and he had been living in dublin for a year and he'd moved back to the uk and i thought this is perfect because uh this guy's a little bit of a sales experience young hungry ambitious guy and also the uk market is going to be much bigger to us in time than than ireland would be but uh yeah i mean we started out and i told them to go and get you know rent a room somewhere some sort of office place you know just find a room locally that he could work from so we did and then in terms of what was he to do? Well, I said, you know, you have to call accounting firms and try and get them to give you a few minutes to sh- for you to show them a demonstration of what our software does. And he said, okay, so who do I call? And I said, well, accounting firms. And I said, well, do you have a list? And I said, no, um, but I'm sure they're listed in the yellow pages. And he said, oh, okay. So we got the yellow pages and that's where we started. But of course, very quickly we realized there was other website directories and so on that you could look up to where accountants were listed and things like that. But but essentially it was uh, it was kind of old school selling. You know, we, we just rang them and tried to introduce what we were doing. Um, and uh, if we didn't get through the past the receptionist or to any partner or that, we just rang the next one. Yeah. And we just kept going and that's what we did. Um, one of the funnier things was Tom, the guy in question who I'm talking about, he was a young guy and uh, it was about nearly into the maybe Wednesday or Thursday of his second week and he kind of rang me tentatively saying, um, Bren, uh, just a quick one. Um, I was just wondering, uh, would you mind if, you know, would you mind if I went and bought a desk? 
<laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Little did I know when I, when I rented an office, it was unfurnished, and the guy's been sitting on the floor cross-legged for the last 10 days. <laughs> yeah, well, it just, it just shows you the, the mindset of, uh, you know, yeah. why you're still, you've still, you haven't run out of runway. And it's something I was thinking about, Brendan, when I was reading about, about Ocrax and you is, you know, you see so many unicorn startups or people who have got funding and they don't respect the funding or the funders. And, mm. you know, I know that's, you know, pretty extreme not to have a desk, but, but there's this whole idea of the age of the cockroach r- rather than the unicorn. And, and that's what a lot of funders are looking for, that mindset where, you know, you won't waste your, you won't waste their funds on unnecessary yeah. things. And even, you know, you take that example, you take somebody like Jeff Bezos and mm. his, the desks, the famous Amazon desk that they built out of doors on the back of a few pieces of timber. Like that's how those guys started. And that mindset can't yeah. do you any wrong. No, absolutely. And I think it keeps you grounded as well. I mean, I think, you know, even in hindsight, you now we're, we've grown since 2012 considerably and we, we hire quite a lot. We sorry, we employ quite a lot of people, and we we have pro- we all have proper desks and computers and stuff. <laughs> but um, and the new hires don't start on the floor. But but yeah, it is very important to try and keep that level of grounding and that you don't get complacent with what you spent. Essentially, because there's one thing that they say, you know, your costs. You'll always meet your budget on costs, but you might not meet your budget on sales. Yeah. So, um, you you know, if you're very worried not to to overspent um that said there's two sides to that too i think some businesses in trying to be very thrifty actually hold back their growth as well so yeah there's a balance to be had yeah and so so i, I mentioned running out of runway because i thought you know you, you started in the recession so way back nearly what we're going back nearly 10 years ago and if you if you look at the time that you've bought yourself effectively through the sales, through that mindset, through sifting through yellow pages, the golden pages, that you're entering into the API economy. And we talk about the age of automation as well. And you are mm. perfectly placed now to take this to a whole new level because when, when things, I, I thought about this, I thought about this, the disruption of AI. So artificial intelligence doing rote tasks like AutoRack does, like Ocrex products do. And how, when everything goes to an API economy, your product going to be in perfect positioning for, you know, mass adoption because, it, and it's going to disrupt jobs, there's no doubt about that, but it will mean somebody who studies for four years, like you mentioned, is actually doing the right thing in their job and probably enjoying their job a hell of a lot more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's the kind of things that we automate are the kind of things that had to be done, you know, as part of the job. So it wasn't the bits you wanted to do. It's not the bits you're trained, you know, specifically with all that expertise in to do, but it still has to get done. Um, so if there was a fair bit of manual data entry, it still had to be done. So like our solutions now, um, you know, automate data entry essentially for accountants and bookkeepers and for business owners. So essentially, you know, inputting information into your account software, we automate, that's what we do. The problem essentially that we're trying to address being that, you know, accounting software and because of the cloud and the API economy and so on, the product is a lot of solutions have become very economical. You know, if you compare the, the, the sort of functionality you get now in accounting software 
to what you did 15 years ago and what you paid for it relative to, let's say, an average salary or something. It's a fraction now. You know, people can get really advanced software for 30 or 40 euros a month. But the, re the funny thing is that the data entry of getting the information into the account software can now cost 10 times that. You can spend 300 euros paying somebody to enter all the invoices and receipts and so on into their account software, even though the software itself now only costs about 30 euros. Yeah, and it's funny because that, that's a lot of the jobs that, you know, you know, a lot of people, private people will pay an accountancy firm to actually go and do this for them. But a lot of the times they're using the likes of your product anyway, but, they, they, you know, it's making it easier for them to get it in there and then their profit margins higher. But like this, these products, like your product, is available more and more. But I just, I just think the the timing of this is is quite, you know, of of its time. And mm. the other thing is that you know, the, the, one of the things I read about you and I'd love you to share is the how interchangeable it is. So it works with a lot of existing solutions as well, and that's fueled your growth. Absolutely, it has. Yeah, I mean, it would probably be one of the main drivers of our growth because. You know, we're not, we don't build accounting software. We just help you get the information into your accounting software. So obviously, for us, it's very key to ensure that we have a really tight, seamless integration with whatever software you're using. Now, there is a lot of people using it in isolation and don't, and, and you know, would be happy to, ex to have us cap automate the capture of the information and then export it to Excel, for example. And from there, they might import it into their account software. But for m most of the popular ones like Xero and QuickBooks and Sage, we actually have direct seamless integration. So from our software, it just sends the information straight through. So that basically means someone can come out of a shop or a coffee shop. Or they have the receipt. They take a picture on the mobile app. And by the time they get back to their office, it's already in their account software. Nice. Finished, done, categorized. Um, and that goes with invoice and receipts as well. So um, it just means, and even their suppliers, you know, they can just email it into the system and they don't even have to see it. And before they know it's already accounted for in their account system. So um, it's that sort of taking away the drudge work. I mean, if you're, you know, let's say a plumber, right? You go out to work all day, you're wrecked tired when you come home at night. But the last thing that those people want to do is once a week or once a month have to be up till all hours at night typing up their expenses and their stuff into their accounting software, something that isn't their trade. You know, they, they might know better than anyone how to install water pumps and all sorts of things. But accounting is not really their thing and they have to choose between 200 expense categories as to what that invoice, you know, should be categorized as. It's not that easy, which is why they often, ex you know, outsource this work to the accounting firm. But um, for a lot of people, that's not terribly practical and it's could be expensive so they feel they have to do it themselves at night um, and it is it's it's one of the things that they least want to do i was one of them by the way i was a software developer not a bookkeeper so ironically while i was making software that you know was used by bookkeepers often i was also the business owner who didn't like typing up my own invoices so so yeah um no i think we're we're um we're solving a real problem for people and it's a real kind of annoying headache that nobody wants to do yeah, as well as obviously a costly one. Yeah, and it's one of these jobs. Like it's like you know, so so many AI products or AI driven products are are taking away the drudge work for people because yeah, it, you know, even even when you have to write up a report, it's it's the worst thing a lot of people want to do. Like I mean, it, it's the comfortable job a lot of the time. It's the safe thing to be doing. But but mm. a lot of people, and it's probably again going back to your nature. But a lot of people are like this where they're going. 
they leave it to the last minute because they don't want to do it. You know, and it's like, yeah. the, why does this rush every year to get your accounting on time? Because nobody's doing it on a regular basis. That too is like you can solve. But yeah. I was going to ask you about the size of the prize. Because mm. obviously there, there's a good few competitors in this space, but also the prize is, is quite hefty for this. It is. It's huge. I mean, essentially, if you think about it, as I say, accounting software might be, for small businesses, might be 30 euros a month. But if it costs 300 euros a month to enter all the data into it, and we can automate that for you, well, you presumably be willing to pay a fraction of that 300 to do it automatically and save yourself the time. Um, so essentially, it's a much bigger market now possibly than the accounting software market itself because it does affect every business. Every business buys materials, buys products, etc., which they have to pay for and they have to get invoices for and they have to enter those invoices into their account software. So it essentially affects every business. Um, it's just right now because it's the, what we do is very new um, or, or certainly very new in the small business context. It's the early adopters that we're picking up now but I see within five years, it's just going to become a standard practice that everybody uses something like this. Yeah. I mean, in one year since we released the latest solution, Auto Entry, Auto Entry was released sort of just maybe 14 months ago. And we've gone from adding, you know, sort of maybe 100 companies a month onto the system to now several thousand in a month. Wow. In the space of 14 months. So yeah. we've got over nearly 17,500 companies on the system. Yeah. Um, a year later, you know, yeah. so I was going to say, I mean, you're, you're apart from that, right? So there's, there's the natural growth. You've got the early adopters, but on yeah. top of that, you're, you're, we're getting this shift in, as you, you mentioned the cloud, but also the API economy. So people are actually yeah. getting their data in, in, into order, into Lego bricks that your system can actually understand and can actually feed as well, which I think is really interesting. So it's actually just because it's a, it's a, it's an interchangeable piece of Lego that works seamlessly with a lot of different products, which makes it really valuable. And in that respect, I mean, are you, yeah. are you, are you, what, what's the next step for you? Uh, next steps for us is, well, we've already become the second. I mean, okay, so if you take the likes of QuickBooks, say, they're the big vendors, right? These all have these sort of API ecosystems feeding into this API economy that you talk about, how all the integration, they can just turn on, turn off different apps that help with the use of, say, QuickBooks or Xero. Um, for some of those ecosystems in the UK, we're already the second most popular in the space of a year. There was, you know, one of our competitors maybe five years old and, and we're on a year old, but we've already got the second place. There's maybe 20 odd competitors in our, our kind of space. But to get to number two, we're delighted because it was only a, a year's growth. What we're hoping to do with that is take that and just re-implement in other markets such as US, Canada, Australia um, for, the, for the next couple of years and then maybe further afield. Part of the reason for those markets is because they're also English speaking, so it's quite easy for us to enter into and support, um, but also because the par our, our partners, the channel partners such as the Sages and QuickBooks and so on, uh, you know, we're also watching what markets they're going into. And we, we already know we absolutely nail it solving it, the data entry problem for their clients in the UK and from Ireland. And now that we're starting to get clients of theirs coming from the US, from Canada, from Australia, we're thinking, okay, well, we need to support them better right. because we have support here, but the time zones obviously 
kind of make it difficult for us to give that real-time support in the likes of Australia. Yeah. So that's that's next. So we're looking to probably raise funding now in the next few months. Um, with the growth that we've had, we're getting a lot of interest, but um, probably be doing a, our, a Series A round of funding so that we can really ramp up that growth in, in new territories. Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, the other thing is, you know, you, you'd be blind not to see the opportunity for an Intuit or a Sage or a QuickBooks to actually go and, and acquire you if you're if you're in a, an interchangeable Lego brick with that. So that investment has, you know, an end goal as well. If if and you I mean you may not want that to happen because you might be you're seems like you're going so well. But uh it's it seems like an obvious uh move for one of those big players. Yeah, some of those big players, you know, would be quite acquisitive in their approach to growth as well. I mean they acquire solutions to help them enter new territories or just to to offer something exclusively to their users or just to better their users experience. So you will see the likes of Intuit who, who own QuickBooks to acquire companies that they see are making a difference in the market and will, you know, and will um, improve the experience of QuickBooks for their users. Um, of course, they are software developers themselves, so they tend to build certain things themselves, but they can't build everything. So yeah. when we think of their ecosystem, essentially, which is a brilliant, uh, you know, evolution in software in the last 10 years, is that because of their API, people who specialize in building an inventory systems can integrate with QBO and plug a gap if, for example, um, you know, QBO or QuickBooks desktop didn't maybe have a system that did all the bits and pieces that are needed for a particular industry vertical, for example, um, or CRM, you know, more and more businesses run on a CRM but they need the CRM to talk to their account software. So through an API, they can do that now. So these ecosystems now for the likes of QuickBooks or Zero Sage, they have hundreds of add-on partners that provide, you know, that plug gaps of functionality that wouldn't be core to the bookkeeping solution. We're one of those, but it just happens that we're in the most sought-after category in the terms of automation data entry is one of the most sought-after add-on solutions for these packages now and we're the second most popular one of those so we're in a very lucrative space um, both in terms of just growing ourselves um, because we can integrate with so many different accounting solutions yeah but okay. also you're right and uh, there is there is definitely opportunity um, potentially in the future where where some of the big players might decide you know what we would like to have something like that as a feature of our solution rather than an add-on. Yeah, and obviously to be acquiring your customer base as well. And, you know, if they add that to theirs, they have a nice extra layer um, if there's no overlap, which I'm sure there's not. But uh, another question for you, Brendan. So apart from your product, what advice would you give to startups and founders from your own experience? Good job we didn't ask this question at the start. <laughs> um, I, there's, there's lots, right? But to some extent, people have to, to some extent, find their own way and make their own mistakes. But there's certain mistakes, you know, that are going to be more costly than others. I think in hindsight, and I heard it early on, and I was fortunate not to make the mistake um, to too great a deal, but I do see the value in it now. And that is, if you're going to commit your life to a startup and you're going to you know, give it your all, which is what happens. And, you know, you're going to spend the next five years doing nothing much else. You might as well do it to solve a big enough problem. Because if you're not solving a big problem, meaning you're not creating a solution or service or product that's going to 
be of value to enough people or, or enough value to enough people to warrant you building the business at all, you, sh- you just shouldn't. It might be a brilliant idea, but if it only affects 10 people or 100 people, it's not worthwhile. To grow a business, you're going to need lots of customers willing to spend money. Um, you might also, some people think, oh, but this is a problem that lots and lots of people have. But if it doesn't annoy them enough, or it's not as upsetting a problem to them or as costly a problem to them, well, then solving it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to buy it, buy your solution. So that's a very big thing. I mean, when we started, we built a solution to automate the capture of banking credit card statements. And it sold like hotcakes, except that the people who bought it didn't get that many bank statements. So while they loved not having to type them up, it was, you know, it was a relatively small problem compared to the likes of invoices. So we have accounting firms that would have been processing a thousand pages of bank statements, you know, a year. And we save them typing up a thousand pages of bank statements. So you work at how long would that have taken them? How much would they have paid to automate it? Fine. But those same companies are now using us to process tens of thousands of invoices per month. Yeah. So it's, you know, and now we're realizing we could never have scaled into a big company on our, on our first product alone. Yeah. So you, um, need, you need to, to, to identify a gap in the market, but also a market in the gap. Exactly. You have to make sure that, that the market is big enough. Yeah. Um, and what about oh, those days? De- I mean, apart from that, right? So that's, that's great advice. But say, say stuff like the, I'm sure there's days that you just felt like I'm at the end here. I've run out of, I've, there's no more petrol in the car. I've run out of runway. What, what's your advice for people to drag them through those lonely days when you're up till 11 in the office and you're just thinking, I can't do this anymore? Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's, it's a common, common experience for, for a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I would say, if possible, it's be- beneficial to have a co-founder. I mean, I was, I was a sole founder. But then again, my CTO was there from day one and my first sales guy who started on the floor. You know, we feel like we're kind of three founders in a way because we're the three of us kind of saw all those dark, early, wet mornings. But when when the phone never rang and, you know, you're ringing people and they're just hanging up on you. But if you had a co-founder, it helps because you're not on your own. The second thing I would say is don't try and ideally, if you can avoid working from like your bedroom because the the four walls will get very close together if you can get and there is lots of supports out there now in ireland thankfully if you can get into an incubation center or some sort of co-working space for which you are likely not to have to pay for if you make an effort in actually applying for supports and showing that you're committed to what you're doing and that to, you know, you're going to give it a proper go. Um, and that way you can actually work in an environment where there's lots of other entrepreneurs. And sometimes they'll be having bad days too. But sometimes they'll have good days. Um, when you're having a bad day, you can bounce off others and they'll, they'll you know, be quick to um, raise your spirits. Brilliant. Okay, man. Well, listen, um, from, from the respect of people want to get in touch, I'm sure people want to get in touch. They've heard you about expanding to Canada, America, etc., and you may be looking to uh, scale up your staffing, but but also some people may be interested in getting in touch about funding. So where can they contact you, Brendan? They can find me on Twitter, yeah. Um, so I'd be brand underscore Ocrex. Brand underscore Ocrex. Okay, man. Well, this has been a pleasure talking to you, Brendan. Brendan Woods, CEO and founder of Ocrex. Thanks for joining us. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Aidan.